We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I am your host, Rich Lamello. My guest today has coached more wins, both regular season and playoffs, than anyone in hockey history. He's also led three different teams to a total of nine Stanley Cup titles, again, the most in league history. And to top that, his name is on the cup five more times as a front office executive. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the biggest winner in hockey history, Mr. Scotty Bowman. Scotty, welcome to Chasing Hardware. Oh, good to be on. Good. I'm glad. I look forward to this talk today, Scotty. Um, as, as my intro you know, kind of laid out, nobody's won the cup more times as a coach. Also, nobody's won it with more franchises than you have um, three times as a coach. Uh, three different teams as a coach, and then also uh, an additional team as um, uh, as an executive. Um, Scotty, you you were born in Verdun, Quebec. Tell me a little bit about that, and then also your playing career uh, basically ended in the juniors when you when you fractured your skull after after receiving a slash. Kind of tell me a little bit about growing up and and about your juniors career. Well, Verdun is a suburb of Montreal and uh, probably by bus about 15 minutes drive uh, just uh, it's right borders the St. Lawrence River. And it's a community that was established uh, probably uh, just after the Second World War. I mean, sorry, the First World War, mm -hmm. because my parents were born in, in the, uh, Scotland, uh, in the U.K., and my dad came over in 1929, and uh, of course I was born, he got married the next year, and I was born in uh, 1933. But it was a nice community. We lived in uh, flats. It was six, six families to a flat, and there was 13 on one side of the street and 13 on the other. So not very big uh, accommodation for, I had uh, two brothers and a sister, but, you know, the only time we were inside is, when we were probably having having dinner and sleep or meals and sleeping, so you're outside all the time. So I, I be, I, you know, that's where I learned how to play a lot of different sports. And uh, 
you know, growing up in Verdun, we had a, a really good uh, opportunity to play sports. And uh, I, I had a good childhood on that regard. And, uh, you know, went went to high school and uh, played uh, played junior hockey until I was injured in 1951. And uh, two, years, uh, two years at the paint company, Sherwin-Williams, and then I, I got an opportunity to go full-time with a junior team that had moved from Montreal to Ottawa, which is only a couple hours away. And it was a farm team of the Montreal Canadiens. Okay. And and was that where you first crossed paths with Sam Pollock? I played junior. He was the coach when I, when I suffered my injury. Uh, and, uh, and then I, I, and then about five years later, I, I started with him in Ottawa. I was 24. No, I was nine, I was 23 when I got the opportunity to go. I'd coached a junior, B, an independent junior B team, before I had the opportunity to go to Ottawa with the with the junior Canadians. Uh, so uh, I did I did get into coaching be, two or three years before that. Okay, okay, um, because obviously that's a name that will come up uh, fairly shortly here. Um, and so so you're you're coaching in the juniors. And you ultimately are coaching the Peterborough Peets, which is a Montreal farm team. Same, same team, same type of team as the junior Canadians, but the junior Canadians, even though they were in Ottawa, they represented the province of Quebec and the Ontario team, uh, farm team was Peterborough. So I started with the junior Canadians. Um, the first two years I was assistant coach and then I got a full-time head coach job with Peterborough. They're both both farm teams of of the Canadians at that time. Okay, okay, got it. And then in 1967, the NHL expands. There's been the original six, you know, basically for a very long time, and they add six new teams. One of them is the St. Louis Blues, and you are hired by the Blues by by uh, Lynn Patrick whose name is, is, you know, a very historic one in hockey history. You're hired as an assistant coach by Lynn Patrick, who then leaves in the, steps down as head coach in the first month or two of the season. And all of a sudden you're the coach of the blues. Tell me about that experience. And, 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 you know, and as an aside, you guys start winning almost immediately when you take over. I'm curious, like what the, you know, if there was like a kind of a change in philosophy or what your, what your secret was there. Well, after I, I did coach Peterborough for three years, and then I was uh, I was only uh, let's see I was only I wasn't even uh, I think I was 27 when I finished with Peterborough 28, and then the head scout for Eastern Canada for the Canadians his name was Lou Passador, the late Lou Passador he went with the Rangers, and uh, Canadians said we'd like you to take his his job, so I did it from 61 to 64 didn't really like being a scout. It was more a job for an older person. And, you know, uh, traveling, I traveled all over Quebec and Ontario and the Maritimes too, but mostly in Ontario and Quebec. I didn't really like that kind of a lifestyle. I think they kind of knew it. So they brought me back as a junior coach for uh, 64 to 66. And uh, I had met Lynn Patrick's son, Craig Patrick, played junior for me. On the on the on the in those two years, and uh, Lynn must have seen me coaching. He, I'm sure he came up to some games. 
So he uh, contacted Montreal and, and, and asked if I could, you know, go with the Blues. Uh, the, the plan was for me to be the, like, we were probably the first team that had an assistant. I was going to be assistant coach and assistant GM the first year, and then the second year I was going to be the head coach. And, and that's what transpired after, tw- uh, I think it was 16 games. Uh, yeah, we had a tough start. But, you know, I, I spent the first month or two, besides being on the bench, uh, changing the, the defense core, I, I did go to, we had a, t- a farm team in Kansas City. So I used to go and watch them play uh, every every Friday night because we, we, weren't, we weren't playing on Fridays. Very, I don't remember. So uh, anyways, uh I got to know the young players on the team and we, we went with a pretty veteran team at the beginning. And then we had a few good young players that were, that started in the minors. So he, he was very passionate about me taking over. I was nervous about doing it because I planned on doing it the second year. And it's always tough when your team's not doing well, but he, you know, he said any, he knew I knew the players on the farm team. And he said, if you, if you want to make any changes, uh, I'll back you up and do what you want. And uh, so we we did bring up a whole line of young players, and we uh, we seen well. We had great goaltending, as everyone knows. Glenn Hall was our goalie the first year, and uh, subsequently after that, we had Jock Plant and Glenn for two more years. But you know, we had we had really good uh, the expansion. They didn't offer a lot of NHL players to the expansion teams, the existing teams, but. They did. We did. We each got a pretty good, uh, you know, goalie because most of the teams were just using one goalie, and Chicago let Glenn Hall go on the list to be taken because they had a couple of young goalies they they thought were going to replace them. But so we got good goaltending, and the difference in a lot of the players, um, there was a lot of good players in the minors. They they weren't as good offensively as the as the NHL players, but they they still were good players. They they knew how to defend. So we became a very strong defensive team. We we got some veterans uh, on on draft. We well, we drafted uh, Jean Guy Talbot from a, a waiver draft. Uh, we got Jacques Plant, uh, who wanted to make a comeback the second year. The first year we had Doug Harvey as our uh, coach in in um, Kansas City, and we later brought him up in the playoffs. So it's a combination. Uh, you know, we we made a lot of moves, and lucky for us and and uh, and the Blues, uh, it took a bit of time, but they they panned out. Yeah, and and the way the expansion worked in 1967 in those first handful of years was that the expansion teams were one half of the league, and the original six were the other. And you know, as you went through the playoffs, the team that won on the expansion side was in the Stanley Cup final. So you, yeah, you... They, the uh, the league actually to get a little bit of history, yeah. Um, the the league was starting to bounce back pretty good in the '60s, and uh, there was a, a league out in Western Canada called the Western Hockey League Pro, and they they had mostly some not a lot of young players, the veterans. There was see there was two other leagues. There was American. There was American Hockey League was pro, and there was the Western Hockey League and. Um, I'm not sure if the Western Hockey was a little bit better, but they they had a very uh, a good leader in in in, in uh, his name was Al Leader, but he he was anxious to get in the NHL. He wanted to get in the NHL as early as 1964, and he kept getting the, the league didn't want to 
they were starting to move pretty good with six teams. Uh, you know, some of them were getting stronger, like because originally, you know, Montreal and Toronto had a big advantage over the the U.S. teams, uh, the four U.S. teams, because they had players in their own backyards. So what happened is uh, the the league got a little nervous uh, about, you know, this could be a rival league. So they decided we'll bring in four new cities, and two of them were on the West Coast, Los Angeles. Uh, Kings and then the uh, Oakland Seals. Uh, they that was unfortunate. They couldn't. They were supposed to play in San Francisco, but they never could get a rink there. So the Oakland Seals kind of struggled. But uh, then, then you know, you had teams like uh, Philadelphia, uh, St. Louis, uh, Pittsburgh, and Minnesota. So they uh, the plan that the league had. They kind of. Uh, I think it was twelve. 11 or 12 players were, were protected by the uh, existing teams, and then um, they would each lose three players. So, uh, yeah, three players and two goalies. So it was kind of a tricky, you know, we only, each of the NHL uh, expansion teams only got maybe three, at the most three, uh, three players that had played the year before in the NHL plus a goalie. So you know it was it was tough sledding for those teams. Uh, we didn't have an, an an amateur draft. We didn't have an entry draft for two more years. It's amazing how those teams succeeded. But we did play among each other, and the very first year, just to show you how how close it was, Philadelphia, we had, we played seventy four games. I think we played a home and home with the 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 East Division, the, the original six, maybe even two and two. I'm not sure. I think it was only one and one, but Philadelphia was first place with 73 points, and Pittsburgh ended up with 67 points at fifth place, and they missed the playoffs. And then the only team that was way down after that was the Oakland Seals. They they were 10 or 15 points. I don't know what happened to them, but so it was a, it, we were all pretty even, you know. And somebody was going to win the West, and and the Western playoffs were unbelievable. We. We had to beat Philadelphia in the seventh game in Philadelphia, and the Minnesota North Stars beat the Los Angeles Kings in seven games, and that that seventh game was in Los Angeles, and then we ended up playing the Minnesota North Stars. We were the higher seed, and it's so it's so nobody knows about the history, but we were so fortunate in St. Louis because we we won. We won in seven games, and the seventh game was in the, in the, the second overtime when we when we scored the deciding, you know, cl- a series goal. But but we had five home games because we had we had our own four, and one one game in uh, Minnesota they had no no building, and I don't know how it worked. I guess they said no, the the other team gets the home game. So we we were really fortunate. I mean, we had five home games, so you know. But it just shows you the how close the uh, West division was every series. The first year, there's only, there was only uh, one, there was two in the first and then one that we, we ended up getting the final. So three series, they all went to seven games. Yeah. And and then you make it to the final, you're playing Montreal. And even though they sweep you four games to nothing, every goal is a one goal game. So much. So yeah, that- I think one or two in overtime too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, two, but two we, we were, overtime. We could defend. We really, we 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 had the kind of players 
that we were we were really uh, stingy on on giving up goals. We got better naturally. We started off the season. We only made the playoffs on the last weekend of this of the season. We swept. We were out of the playoffs before we played the North Stars two in a row, Saturday and Sunday, and we won both games to to go into third place, and they finished fourth, and that knocked Pittsburgh out. But uh, no, it was really the parity was so much, and then the next year we. We added Jacques Plant, and uh, with Jacques and, and Glenn splitting the duties, I think we might have played 76 games the second year, I think. And uh, they, they shared the job. And my goodness, we, we got 13 shutout game, thir- 13 shutouts between the two of them, and we had another 21 or 22 one-goal games. And we, we had a low goals against average. I, I think... Uh, if memory serves me correct, Detroit had the lowest amount of goals ever. Uh, up in a 70, uh, they gave up um, 131 goals in 70 games. That was when the Red Wings in 1952 they swept and won. They won. They won eight straight in the playoffs because they only play in two series, and they uh, they never had a goal scored on them at home. That was just a great year for the Red Wings. So. But we had a good we had a good a good system and we played tight hockey. But we had the goaltending, and um, that 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 stood us in big stead for the first three years for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing that that first Stanley Cup, Glenn Hall, the losing goalie, is the MVP, which is just incredible. that shows you. I mean, the goaltending was superb, you know, and yeah. uh, Glenn Glenn. Glenn played a lot of games that first year. Our backup only, we got a kid, uh, not a kid, we got a goalie out of a, a Canadian Olympic, or like a, sort of like an amateur goalie, but he was in his 30s. It was better than the backup we would have had to play, but Glenn played, uh, I, I think the backup played 20, so he would have played 50-something, 55 games, and uh, maybe about 35 or 36 years old. But I, I think he's a single-handedly the reason the team uh, plus, we, we made a terrific trade in the end of November. We traded, uh, we had a, 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 our leading goal scorer, our leading point getter was a veteran named Ron Stewart. He had been with the Leafs the year before. Uh, he was in his mid-30s, and they won the Stanley Cup in 67, Toronto. We, we, we drafted him. He had a good start with us, but he wasn't going to be there very long. And the Rangers wanted, they were, he was a very good skater, Good, really good, good all-round player, really. And and uh, Rangers wanted a- Emil Francis was the general manager of the Rangers, and they were one of the teams that really was coming along. And uh, you know, they, they Bobby Hall was just a great player at that, in that era, and they needed somebody to try to stifle them as much as they could. So they, and they had a lot of players, the Rangers. So we we made a terrific trade. We got. We got uh, Red Berenson, who I had known from his days. He came up through the college ranks. One of the few players that graduated from Michigan in 59, Canadians brought him in, but they had too many centermen. They had four ahead of him. Went to the Rangers, broke his leg. So we got Red Berenson, and we got Barkley Plager. He was playing in the minors in, in uh, Buffalo. The Rangers were a strong team. I mean, they, they came really close to winning I mean, they lost to Boston in uh, 72 in a six-game series, and the Bruins were a fantastic team in that era, you know. So so that was a trade that worked out well for, for us because we, 
I would say of my days in St. Louis, if I could pick three players, naturally Glenn Hall and then Red Berenson, he was the best two-way player, plus good offense, made 30, 35 goals. But he was a two-way player, and I think he was the best player in the West Division, really. And Barkley Plager became a real steady defenseman because we had a great captain in Al Arbor, and he took Barkley under his wing. And Al had been a playing coach in Rochester when we drafted him from Toronto. And uh, Al came over and was a great captain, and, of course, we know how great a coach he was later on, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing looking at that roster. Arbor, after, and obviously we'll get to your Montreal years, the, the team that succeeds you guys, the next dynasty, he's the coach of with the Islanders, Al Arbor, who was your first captain in those St. Louis years. And also Red Berenson goes on and has, what, like a 25 or 30-year career at Michigan after his yeah. career is over. You know, incredibly successful. Well, Red, Red coached the, the Blues uh, one year to, I, I think they were the president's trophy. And then the next year, they, they, they slumped a bit. And uh, I was now in Buffalo by then. And Red came to work for us in Buffalo. We had we drafted some good young players, Phil Housley and Dave Andrichuk, teenagers, so, you know. And mm-hmm. Red, Red only stayed one year in Buffalo. And the offer came from his alma mater in Michigan. And, you know, I, under, I mean, he took quite a pay cut, but he wanted to go back to to Michigan where he had graduated probably, I don't know, 20 years earlier or later. Yeah. Earlier. So red went to Michigan and you know how long he stayed. I think he coached him for 30 years. Yeah. Incredible run there. Um, yeah. And, and I have to ask one question. The, the, the guy who, I think I read this correctly. The guy who, who's slashed fractured your skull was Jean-Guy Talbot. And yeah, we got him. We were lucky. We were looking. We would pick up players like on the draft, the waiver draft. Uh, they put him on waivers, Minnesota. I don't know what happened. He left Montreal. Minnesota picked him up, and uh, January it was. I would say it's around January of the first season. They put him on waivers, and I mean he was a hybrid type of player. He could play defense, and he, he wasn't a big, big guy, but he also could play uh, a little bit of wing. So sure. he, we got uh, Jean-Guy Talbot and Jim Roberts was a, also a hybrid. We had a really good system because we had four regular defensemen. We had the third pair when we wanted them. And then in the third period, we'd move them up uh, on, on the wing. One, uh, one was a left and one was a right. So we, it was really a nice combination that we had going for us. And, uh, Players, we had a lot of players that had been with good teams before, you know, like they had that championship uh, pedigree. Sure. Yeah. Like you mentioned, Doug Harvey and Glenn Hall, Ponte, uh, Al Arbor. Yeah. And, and the second, I think the second year, we, well, after our first year, we, we traded a young player we didn't think was going to make it with us. So we, we picked up uh, a guy from Pittsburgh, Ab McDonald. He was their captain and he came into. He came into uh, um, our team in St. Louis, and then we uh, also, I think we must have picked him on waivers or something, Phil Goyette out of the Rangers. So, you know, but these players had both been in Montreal. They weren't on all five cups, but they were on it. I think Goyette was on three of those cups in the 50s. They were in their 30s, but, 
you know, they they just liked the opportunity. We, we they were well treated in St. Louis. Uh, you know, uh, we didn't have to burn them out, but uh, they, they it meant a lot to get players with a winning pedigree. And Al Arbor, who had been in Rochester for probably three or four of the Calder Cups, he was there at the end. The year before we drafted him, uh, he was the playing coach in Rochester, like he was assistant, I'm sorry. The coach was Joe Crozier, but he was a, he was Joe Crozier's assistant. So we had a lot of, a lot of help, you know. Sure. And, and then something kind of interesting happens. So you're, you're from Quebec, you speak French and English, and the Canadians win the Stanley Cup in 1971. But there seems to be some friction with the coach. He's the first non-French speaking coach to coach the Canadians, Al McNeil. He's let go. They hire you. So you come in to the, you leave St. Louis, you come into the defending Stanley Cup champs. And um, it's an interesting mix. It's, it's, Older, you know, veterans like Henri Richard and, and Frank Mahovlich and J.C. Tremblay. And also there's, you know, some real youth. Guy Lafleur is 20. Ken Dryden is 24. Uh, you know, the, those defensemen, Guy Lapointe and Serge Savard are, are in their 20s. Um, tell me about that transition and, and what it was like coming, you know, back to Montreal to coach. Well, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest upsets in the history of the National League was the 71 um, Stanley Cup uh, playoffs. And uh, it was in the semifinal. Uh, Montreal was sort of struggling during the year. They were a third-place team. Boston and New York, and Boston and Chicago and New York, maybe they were fourth best. They were much better teams during the season. And sure. Montreal couldn't get goaltending. And all of a sudden, uh, Dryden had played a little bit in the American League farm team because he just finished Cornell. And he wanted to go to school in, in Montreal at McGill University. So he, he went to university and he played on their American League team till about six games left in the regular season. And Sam Pollock decided, we got to try this guy in the Nets. And he went in and won six straight um, league games to finish the season. And then he went in and, uh, my goodness, I saw the games he played against Boston. It was I mean, we're talking 40, 50 shots every... Because the Bruins were a powerhouse. I mean, you know, they, they beat us in 1970 with, when I was with the Blues, and that was probably as tough a series that we... It was as tough a series we, we had had even in all three. But the uh, Rangers were a good team, and so were Chicago. And Montreal upset them, you know. And uh, it was... Uh, Dryden actually uh, won the Conn Smythe, and the next year, he was a rookie, and he won the Calder Trophy, the Memorial, you know, for the Rookie of the Year. Yeah. But uh, you're, you're, you had the facts right about the Canadians. They had enough veteran experience. They had some young players coming along, like Jacques Lemaire, Serge Savard, Guy Lapointe. They, they had a good taste of winning. And uh, then we got terrific draft picks. I mean, Sam Pollock. He, he, we had a lot of players. He had a lot of players in Montreal and he traded players to get draft picks. And there were always picks down near the beginning of the draft. Like Guy Lafleur was a pick that he got from uh, the, the Oakland Seals. Steve Shutt came from another, te another team's draft list, the 72. And then Bob Ganey came in 73. So it was a, I mean, you know, these are Hall of Fame players and you, you know, when you get a 
get three in a row. Larry Robinson was not a first-round pick, but he was another player drafted the same draft as uh, Guy Lafleur in uh, second round in, in 71. So, you know, um, we had the three Hall of Fame uh, players that got in the Hall of Fame. Larry Robinson, Serge Savard, Guy Lapointe uh, on that uh, sequence of teams. And they were big men, too. Serge Savard and Larry Robinson, they would be considered pretty big in the league today. Yeah. And they were they were terrific players, you know. Yeah. I, I remember reading that you had said about Serge Savard that his hockey IQ was the reason he was so good. You know, he had the vision and the confidence. Um, Robinson obviously had size. Larry could play up front, too, like, but he was a great combination because Larry played left defense and Serge played the right side, although he was a left-hand shot. And Serge was more a stay-at-home defenseman. We would go up the odd time. Larry, Larry could really go up. He was like a forward. And what a combination they were, you know, and Guy Lapointe was on the next pair. And he, he was a great offensive defenseman, too. So, you know, they in those days, they played a lot. I don't know how many minutes they would have played, but, you know, they were playing 35, 40 minutes, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, when the puck was in your own end, when, when they would get to a loose puck, uh, very, very seldom was it turned over. It was always over the blue line, and the other team would have to pull out, you know, so uh, and then you had Dryden and the Nets. I mean, Dryden's record is is just something that not many people, you know, in his whole history, he played. I think he played six regular seasons. He missed. He, he left to go and miss one, and he got. He, he was on six cups, including the first one, six in eight years, and uh, he 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 was he won. 258 games in seven regular seasons. So, you know, it's just an amazing kind of, a, you know, it's it's probably around 235 wins a year. But he only lost 57 games. I mean, Ken Dryden averaged eight losses a year. And because we're a strong team, I don't think he, and because he didn't play a long time, he I don't think he's ever been given the, um, and I think when you're on a good team, you often overlook the goalie. But there's times in every game where a goalie has to rise to the occasion, no matter how good the team is, you know. Sure. And uh, his his record, I mean, to have 258 wins regular season and only 57 losses, I think about 75 ties. But I, I know after talking with people that remember the, those days that uh, and wanted to play every game, you know. Didn't play every game, of course but just wanted to play the good goalies. You can't get them out of the net, you know? Right. And, and yeah, and when you win that cup in 73 and obviously, you know, a, a, a great team, um, he then sits out the next year. He left, he left to go to school in uh, Toronto. Yeah. Right. To become a lawyer, he wanted, right? They wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. Get his law degree. I think he had to, he had the article or something. He couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't be playing and 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 going to get get to be a law get his law degree. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I read that. I, I had never seen that word before. He was articling that year. Um, yeah. We we did you work hard to try to get him to not article that year? No, Sam Pollock was the manager, and uh, I'm not. I don't know if there was a a dispute about the. the the contract, I'm not sure. I don't think it was the whole reason, but 
the main reason he wanted to get his law degree, and, and he did. And, uh, and of course, we, we struggled, you know, because we, we uh, you know, we didn't have the goaltending that year. I mean, sure. we were still pretty good, but we didn't have the goaltending. Right. And then, uh, but he took off a year, and a year later he came back and we, we won those four in a row. Yeah, and it, and it just so happened to coincide, that one year he took off happens to coincide with Bernie Perrant, um, you know, kind of rising up, and, and all of a sudden, you know, the Flyers win hey. two back-to-back. Bernie, Bernie Perrant was uh, the one young goalie in the draft. Like when, the way they had the goalies uh, in the expansion draft, he had he was a Boston property. And uh, see, we we uh, the first pick was Philadelphia, and they they picked the right goalie because he was the youngest. There were some good goalies available, but they were older. And then and then uh, Los Angeles took uh, Terry Sachuk. He had he was getting on, but. He had been he'd won the the Stanley Cup with Johnny Bauer in Toronto the previous season, and then we got Glenn Hall at the third pick. I'm, I think Minnesota got Caesar Maniago, who was a pretty good goalie. So the teams got themselves pretty steady goalies, you know. But Perrant was a special goalie because of his age. You know, he was a young. I mean, usually in expansion. They they don't like to let young players go. I, I don't know the reason, but it was it was a, 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 a player that Philadelphia got from Boston. Yeah, and 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 it's funny. I was looking at at some of your rosters. So obviously you had Al Arbor on that Blues team for for part of that '75 season, which was the second year that the Flyers won. You had Glenn Sather on your team for, for yeah uh, three quarters. Yeah, he came to Montreal. Yeah, he was he was a you know a workman like player, uh, very uh, appreciative of being on a good team. He didn't play a lot, but he uh, he certainly uh, you know was a good team. I mean, I I enjoyed having them as as a you know he was a journeyman player that knew his he knew his role, and he was uh, he was a good player for a lot of the young players to you know he he had good leadership you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's just amazing to think that, you know, after your dynasty in Montreal, the next dynasty is Al Arbor. He's one of your guys. The dynasty after that is Edmonton. <laughs> Say there was one of your guys. It's just it's just incredible kind of looking at it all. Yeah, they they were terrific people and then they deserved to get their opportunities. And, you know, there wasn't handed to them. They were pretty young. You know, uh, Al Arbor went to, to the um, Islanders and they, the first year they hardly won any games and you know he, they stuck with Al and uh, they they drafted well and they they built a, a you know a dynasty like you mentioned with Bill Torrey. Yeah, in fact, I interviewed Dennis Potvin for uh, for this podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he told a funny story about how uh, Sam Pollock, uh, who had had obviously great success trading to get the rights to Guy Lafleur had tried to convince Bill Torrey to trade the number one pick. I think it was 72 where. Oh Pop yeah. Had- I, I know that it's true. And the other one is Sam Pollock. I think after Philadelphia, they drafted Bobby Clark in 69 and a year or two later, he could see, yeah, we've had a lot of extra players and he right. put a package together uh, with Philadelphia. Bobby had just started to really, you know, thrust his, his, his stuff. And, uh, so, so that's, that, that was, that's a true story. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, the, 
it's it's funny. He tried to, you know, anytime there's a good player around, he wanted to trade for him, you know. <laughs> I guess that's a sign of a good general manager, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he knew the, you know, he, he had good people working for him, but he also had a lot of vision. In fact, the year that they uh, they won the Cup in 71, and uh, it was a tight tight pick between Guy Lafleur was, tearing up the Quebec Junior League, and Marcel Dion, uh, somehow um, they got him out of Quebec, and he went to St. Catharines, uh, and, and, and he was, they were the two best drafts by quite a ways, and sure. Sam Pollock tried real hard, I was at, I just said, come over from St. Louis when I signed, and uh, he spent all one night uh, trying to, like, because it was close between Lafleur and Dion, you see, and both both francophones and um you know he wanted he wasn't sure but uh you know lafleur was a little bit bigger the taller but he, he tried hard to get he came real close from detroit to get marcel dion he offered well they had just won the cup and he offered uh i think he offered jc trombley or terry harper they were regular defensemen plus a couple of young he offered a couple of young forwards because they had they had so many players in those days that they, you could you could trade players for futures, you know, and yeah. and you and you keep going, you know. So uh, he was uh, he he was on top of uh, of the trade, you know, how to get players, you know. Traded yeah. he traded for Frank Mahovlich. I mean, he was in Detroit and uh, he he brought him over and uh, a young player that was really uh, a player coming up, um, uh, Mickey Redman. And he was—he became a 50-goal scorer. He didn't play forever, but uh, you know, uh, he was a good player, Mickey Redmond. I mean, these are players that burned up, burned up the junior ranks. You know what I mean? You know? Sure. Oh yeah. And that all obviously sets up the run from '76 to '79, where Montreal wins four straight cups, and it's led obviously by Lafleur, by Shut, by that defense. And Jacques Lemaire was a terrific two-way uh, centerman like he he scored his goals but he we had a good system Lafleur and Shutt could play real high up in the in the in, the, in their own zone and and Jacques would play back and still scored enough goals uh, respectable but um you know you're right that we we uh, we had those three well the fourth year was different but the first three years we lost 29 games I think we lost 11 and 10 and 8. I don't know yeah. which order, but I know one year we we had the 60. The, I think it's still a pretty sure it's still a point total. Not we had 60 at uh, 80 game schedule. We won 60, lost eight, and tied 12. Yeah. So that was uh, 132 points. And I I know the 60 game mark's been broken by both. I, in Detroit, we won 62 one year. And and so did the um, the lightning one year, but I don't think anybody's got 130. And we only, you know, we we didn't have any overtime in those days. And, we, and I think now there's 80. Well, there's 82 games, and they still haven't been able to get to uh, 100. Maybe it was real close one year. Think of the lightning. I think I'm not sure. But you're right. Yeah, you you were playing two less games, and you didn't have that chance for those extra overtime wins and. Point. Uh, yeah. Point. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny because that 77 team, 
uh, as I'm sure you're very well aware, is is one of a handful of the teams that you coach that's considered one of the greatest teams ever. Uh, well, we only lost one game at home. We lost one game on, on uh, Halloween night to Boston. I think Boston beat us about three times that year. But Boston and Buffalo beat us uh, out of the eight losses. I think three or four of them came from, the, it's funny, those two teams. But, no, uh, that that year we, we just kept going. I mean, we could we could score and we could defend and everything came. I mean, you know, that was in the middle of, well, I think we had the confidence because we, we had won in 76 against the Flyers. That was a, it was a, I don't say an upset, but it was a, a big win to go four straight. And that next team was had a lot of confidence, you know. Yeah, yeah, and um, and and then it's amazing. You, you have you know, so you're on this run, and then oh, by the way, in '79, not that he played a ton, but in addition to the big three on defense, Rod Langway, a future Hall of Famer, is a rookie on that team. Um, oh, yeah, we had another good defenseman that left us. Uh, he became a regular around the mid '70s, uh, Bill Nyrop. Sure. He, he, and he retired when he was 28. He had he he cracked the, he became the number four defenseman uh, uh, behind the big three for a couple of years. He played a lot, and then he decided he poor poor man died early. But he wanted to get he he wanted to get get his law degree, which he did. But yeah. no, you're right. And Rod Langway came in from the he played a year with the Nova Scotia team and the farm team in the American League. And uh, we had so many, a lot of our good players went down to Nova Scotia, you know, and played and then, and then uh, came up. Yeah. You, you mentioned Bill Nyrop and, 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 you know, one of the things that's so fascinating about your career is that you, you navigated through all these different changes, right? It, you know, you came in right as the original six era was ending. So you're in the expansion era. Then there's the, you know, the era where the WHA is competing and teams are signing, you know, kids are being signed away. And then there's, there's, uh, you know, free agency. And then, oh, by the way, when, when you started coaching every team, the entire roster was Canadian. I mean, it, when you go onto the, you know, the websites, you can't find a flag that's not Canadian. Nyrop is one of the first non-Canadians. He's yeah. He went to, he, he actually a story about Bill Nyrop. He, he was, a he was a great football quarterback with a Dinah, a, a very prestigious high school in Minnesota and he won a football scholarship to go to Notre Dame. Yep. And then when he went to the camp, the hockey coach convinced him to try hockey. And I don't know, the rest is history. But, yeah, he was a wonderful player for us. He only he retired at 28. The only thing I missed, and I didn't really miss it, was I didn't have to coach in the cap era where the turnover of players becomes a real tough situation, you know, because – you know, we could keep most of our players, and we could get. If you had, a, if you became a destination like Detroit was, you could go out and get good players. You know, like Brad Hall and Luke Robitaille and Dominic Hasek. But nowadays, it's if you have you have to keep your own team intact. It's it's very difficult. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the cap system keeps keeps a lot of teams. Uh, you know, you just can't keep everybody. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're forced to make tough decisions on an annual basis. Um, and then, and then Sam Pollock, who you've had this, you know, great working relationship 
you know, dating back to your juniors years, but then also uh, in Montreal, he's the GM, you're the coach. Uh, he retires before that last cup win that you have. Um, and they name somebody else, the general manager, and you decide to leave and go to Buffalo. T tell me about that. Tell me about the thinking going to Buffalo. Well, uh, I was nervous. So I knew how valuable Sam Pollock had been, you know, assembling all those teams in the seventies. And I was, I was concerned. I think if they would have brought in at that time, two of the premier, um, type of, uh, general managers, uh, Harry Sinden in Boston, Emil, Emil Francis, it would have been different if, if, if some, I, I, I don't know if I would have or not, but I had a great opportunity to go and I had a young family and my wife was from the United States originally and a chance to go and do two jobs and look after my family a little easier. So that was a tough decision, but, uh, uh, at the same time, it was the right decision for our family, and uh, it wasn't easy. But you know, uh, those things. Uh, the the team, the team was still strong, but not as strong as it had been. You know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. When you when you get to Buffalo, uh, two thirds of the French connection is still there. Rick Martin and and Gilbert Perrault. Um, Danny Gare is there, um, and while you're there, uh, you draft a goalie who comes, steps right out of high school. It's incredible. Steps right out of high school and right into the NHL and is successful right off the bat, Tom Barrasso. Um, tell, tell me about that. Well, we had a scout in Boston that, that uh, Bucky Kane was his name, the late Bucky Kane. And he, he was always in watching high school hockey. And, and Boston had really... That, that that was an era like in this in the eighties, very good high school hockey, and he he kept touting this young Tom Barrasso, good sized goalie, mainly on the fact that he was so good at handling the puck. Uh, you know, he was a good skater, good puck handler, and good size. And uh, you know, we we were looking for size in the goal. Everybody was too at that time starting. So he came in and uh, you know he 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 just blew everybody away. He won the rookie of the year and and uh, Vezin, I think it was. And uh, the year before we had drafted a high school player out of Minnesota. We had we had to make some moves. I mean we we traded some veteran players, but we got good young draft picks back. And I thought about that from the Montreal days. How much you know when you get a pick down? Uh, I think Tommy Barrasso was the fifth pick. Uh, but the year before, Phil Housley was the sixth pick, you know, and, and there was good players in that era. So we, we got Phil on, uh, out of high school, and he joined our team right away. And Tommy Brasso was uh, drafted number five, and he came right in right away. And we didn't have a lot of – we were missing um, some really good, experienced uh, – we, we had good regular seasons, but we didn't have the right – players for the playoffs plus Quebec was really getting strong that's the team that eventually moved you know to Colorado a decade later but Montreal still had enough you know they had Savard and Ganey and, and and these guys and Boston was coming along that was a tough division Boston had guys like Bork and then Neely and then, you know it always seemed Boston could get a couple of really star players and they could 
carry the team. And uh, we got points during the season. We didn't, we, you know, Hartford was also getting better. Emil Francis went there and he was building up a pretty good team. But, you know, sometimes you get in the wrong division at the wrong time. And it's, it's like right now, I live in Buffalo since 1979. And there are people I, I know that are real hockey fans. And they ask me, you know, when are the Sabres going to make their, make their move? You know, and I said, well, it's tough because you got the Panthers, you got the Lightning, and you got Toronto. Now, there, there's uh, three teams that are, and then you got Boston. But, you know, Boston, uh, is, people think, well, they're, they're, they, they always seem to get in. But, uh, you know, and then the worst thing is you got Buffalo and Detroit and Ottawa in the next level of teams that are, are coming along. You know, they're, yeah. building, they're building pretty good, uh, you know, they're getting young players. And, uh, you know, you know, so it's, it's a, sometimes you're in a division, you know, you're in, you know, let's say you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, I mean, you can't get out of the division. So it takes time. And, uh, Buffalo, we, we had some good young players that could make the hall of fame, some of them. And, um, Perot was, he had drafted in 70 and, uh, and he was like in his early thirties, he's still a great player. I still think that, of all the players in Buffalo history, which is now past 50 years, the team started in 1970. I I still believe that Gilbert Perot is, and there's been some good ones. You know, there's been McGillney, there's been Hoshek. He's he was a great goalie here, and there's been uh, Pat Lafontaine, yep. and there's been other ones too. But Perot is the one player that people. I mean, he he was. Uh, he drew the crowds himself. He was that kind of a player, you know, great skater, good, good playmaker, good scorer. And he, he, he you know, he, that uh, French connection line was a big part of Gilbert Perot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny looking at the, just kind of thinking of the guys who wore the C for you all those years. It really is an incredible list, right? It's Henri Richard. Then it's Yvonne Cornwayer, Um after, uh, Al Arbor in St. Louis. Those two were your and Serge Savard. Serge Savard. Uh, and then I guess you had Danny Gare and then Gilbert Perot. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, you have Mario Lemieux in Pittsburgh. And then you have Stevie Eiserman in Detroit. And that's just an incredible run of captains. Um, oh, yeah. And then we, we also had, I don't know if you ever was captain of the Islanders, but when I, my second year, I was only coaching the second year, but my first year coaching, Brian Trotsier came over. Was he ever captain of the Islanders? I'm not sure. You know, maybe I not. I know Gilles was the captain, and then he oh. handed the C to Potvan before oh. their their run began. He yeah. he might have had the A, but he definitely didn't have the C. He was a good player for, you know, when he came over to Pittsburgh, like he he, he became, you know, uh, Craig Patrick had traded for. We we had Mario, but then he traded for Ron Francis. He came from Hart, and then uh, and then um, Brian Trotsey became the veteran center. Like he was good on faceoffs. He was a very good uh, player, uh, starting off with the rookie year of Yarmer Yarmer Yager. He took him under his wing, you know, and uh, and that he was an important. He didn't play, you know, he didn't play fifteen twenty minutes a game, but he. His points that he, his time that he played, 
he, it was very effective, you know? Yeah, he made him plus, count. He, plus, he'd been used to winning. See, that winning pedigree, you know? Yep. Well, and, and so that's interesting. Yeah, so so you're you're done in Buffalo, and you ultimately, a couple years later, you go to Pittsburgh, and you're the director of player personnel, um, and Bob Johnson is the coach who had a legendary career uh, uh, at the University of Wisconsin, Badger Bob. Uh, it was a terrific coach, yeah. Yeah, and and that team, when you're director of player personnel, that team, um, and, and as an aside, you had mentioned Craig Patrick earlier. You were the assistant to Lynn Patrick, and then Lynn handed the job yeah. over to St. Louis. Yeah. Now you're working for Craig Patrick, who had played for you. He's the GM. Um, in Pittsburgh, and he's making these trades that you're talking about, bringing in Trottier, bringing in uh, Joey Mullen, you know, uh, you know, making. Yeah, he made a lot of good moves that Larry Murphy, you yeah. know, we traded two defensemen for two. And yeah, and that uh, even in the last year, uh, the second last year, we made a trade. We, we you know, we traded uh, pretty good players, you know, traded uh, Mark Recchi. Yep. And we needed some physical strength. We got Rick Tockett and Shell Samuelson, which really helped us uh, get another cup, you know. Sometimes when, sometimes teams need just that little bit of, of changeover to help win that cup, you know. And people look back and say, well, gee, they traded this guy. But if you win a cup, then it's worth it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Dennis Popvan talked about how right before the trade deadline, the first year they won the cup. So going into that playoffs. Oh, and Butch Goring. Butch Goring was, I would say he's, that goes down in history as one of the all-time great pickups at the, at the deadline. We, we were lucky in, um, in Pittsburgh also picking up a you know, very unheralded player, but what a player he was, Ron Francis. Yep. Hard he, he meant a lot to Mario because you know, Mario was just like a machine himself. But uh, getting Ronnie Francis solidified another line, you know. I remember he was playing a lot with uh, Kevin Stevens and uh, uh, Joey Mullen. Boy, that, that was a hang of a line, you know. Oh, yeah. That's all, all of a sudden they couldn't just put the top D pair on Mario's no. line. You know, they yeah. had to pay attention to that line. Once you get another, once you get another productive line... It causes uh, concern, you know, for the opposition. Yeah, and and sadly, in the summer after that first cup in Pittsburgh, '91, Bob Johnson yeah. uh, is diagnosed with brain cancer and dies just a few months later. You take over. Yeah, sad. He died right at thank right at Thanksgiving. Uh, never even had a chance to celebrate. His he got headaches. He was going to coach the. Uh, well, I don't know what was that the Canada Cup or something. Yeah, he was going to coach the U.S. team. Is when he got sick. He got he got uh, getting headaches in August, right around this time, mm-hmm. and he was going to be the U.S. coach in the. I think it was in one of those tournaments, you know. Sure. And and he only lasted till Thanksgiving. I remember when we went to Colorado. That's where he he ended up in Colorado Springs. You know. Mm, that's tough. Um, and, and you take over and, um, and, oh gosh, one name we've forgotten on that team, you know, for, for all the stars on that team, you also had Paul Coffey that first year. Um, yeah, he, he was in, involved in the trade. We, we really wanted to talk it right. and we had to pay a price for him, but, but he was a good player for our team because we, 
we needed that extra toughness. You know, when you when you when you're building a good team, you never know what to expect. You know, are you fast enough? Are you are you good enough defensively? Are you tough enough? You know, yeah. And uh, that's the teams that win usually have to answer the bell with those you know with those things. Yeah. And that, that season, the incredible thing about that cup win uh, for you in Pittsburgh in 92, Mario in the playoffs only plays in 15 of the games. I, I think he played like 26 games or something, like 25 games, something like that. He misses a bunch of games. He scores 34 points in those 15. Oh, he was, it was amazing what he did, those two cup runs. And, you know, it's, I don't know if it'll ever be duplicated. I doubt if it'll ever be duplicated. And, and Mario very seldom could could have good practices. He had a back a back thing that really flared up all the time. It was never, I mean, it was under control sometimes, but he, he couldn't practice a lot, you know? And, and I mean, it's true. Sometimes he, he needed somebody to even like lace up his skates and then, you know, the pain would go away and he'd play. But uh, yeah, I mean, his record is uh, impeccable, you know, and he would, I think that's what what happened with some of his retirements, is that uh, the the pain was too too tough to to withstand, you know. Sure. Yeah. And 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 then after the next season, which is another successful season, you guys actually he actually gets um, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and misses oh, yeah. a quarter of the season. But oh, by the way, when he comes back, you guys set a record that I think still stands: seventeen straight wins in the middle of the regular season, which is just if you think about that is just insane um but but uh you lose to the islanders in the playoffs in, in something of an upset and then you leave and you go to detroit which had not won a cup in 40 some years or you know something like that um tell me tell me about the thinking in the move from pittsburgh to detroit well uh, i knew jimmy Devolano because he had uh, he'd been a scout of ours in st louis you know Back in the first year of uh, of the uh, in '67, he he was a young guy in Toronto that we hired as a an area scout, and then I he went to the Islanders, and I went to Montreal, and then you know they were looking, they were pretty good in the playoffs, but they they were too offensive minded, they didn't play enough defense, you know, and we solidified the goaltending, we 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 won the three cups that I was there as a coach three different goalies, you know, the, the guy that came in and gave us really terrific goaltending was Mike Vernon. And then, uh, Chris Osgood was his backup. And then after him, we got Dominic Oshek. So, you know, you, goaltending is, you know, I've been very fortunate with most of the teams that I, like even in Pittsburgh, the first year that first, the two years they won Tommy Barrasso, he was really, really a top goalie. Uh, Dryden, Durasso, these are, you know, you you don't win championships now in the NHL with without the goaltending at at the right time, you know. Sure, and and it's funny, and you know, some some of these themes that like we've already you know been talking about you and um, Sam Pollock and you and the Patricks, you know, Larry Murphy, or, I'm sorry, Tom Barrasso is with you in Buffalo, then he's with you in Pittsburgh, you win two cups. Larry Murphy's with you in uh, Pittsburgh. Then he's in Detroit. You win a bunch of cups. You know, there's certain guys who just seem to kind of fit your style. Is is that the way you look at it? Yeah, I mean, you, I think you feel more confident when you're either dealing for a player 
when you know him, you know, you, you especially if he's been successful, and that's right, you know. And then, and then what made our teams in Detroit, of course, we had the great captain Steve Eiserman, but we had right in the shadows of Steve, we had uh, Sergey Fedorov, and you know it was just amazing drafting by the Red Wings uh, in the one draft, getting Nick Lidstrom and Sergey Fedorov, I think Vladimir Konstantinov and. We made some trades, you know. We traded a good winger, uh, Ray Shepard, to to get Rigor Larionov, and uh, you know. And then we, you know, and we also made well. We had made a trade just before that. To, we were looking for defense uh, depth, and we got Slava Fatisov, who was sitting in the stands with New Jersey, and he kept bugging us to try to get. He said that Igor Larionov wanted to come to Detroit, so we had all we already had. Vladimir Konstantinov it was such a tragedy because I think that he was so good at his prime prior. That was right at his prime when they had that accident. He would have been a big challenger for Nick Lidstrom because Nick won all those those uh, well-deserved uh, Norris trophies. That Vladimir was a, a different type of player, but boy, he was effective. You know, so tough and uh, and the five Russians were were just one of a kind, you know, you, 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 you didn't see that kind of hockey anywhere in the NHL. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to what I was saying uh, a little bit ago, you know, just the evolution of the game while you were coaching it from original six and all Canadians and then expansion, then you start to get some Americans late seventies, you start to get some Swedes and some Finns and you can see right. it in some of the drafting that you were a part of. And then, I want to say in 94, when the Rangers won, I believe they had a number of Russian players on the team, but that 97 team with the Red Wings was the first one where it was just like, you had these like very, very, you know, kind of high level hall of fame, all-star caliber players, Russians. And you would, you would oftentimes trot out an entire three forwards and two defensemen that were all Russian. And it was just so unique at the time. Well, yeah. Igor Larionov and Slava Fatisov were parts of a big five back oh, 20, maybe 15 years before that, you know, when they had uh, Larionov and Krutov and Makarov up front and they had Kasatonov with uh, Fatisov. So they adding, adding those two and then having added me, we had Vladimir Konstantinov still. And then we had Slava Kozlov and Sergei Fedorov. These were elite players. You know, they, they just, uh, and they could, they knew the system that they want. I didn't have anything to do with the system they played. It just was, they knew that's how they were, they were brought up in that system, you know? Yeah. And then you bring in that 97 season, that first cup that you win in Detroit, you bring in Brendan Shanahan. Tell, tell me the thinking behind that move. Well, it was a tough trade because Keith Primo, we were trying to mold him as a successor eventually for Steve Eisenman. He was a big, strong centerman, but they had contract difficulties, and uh, it looked like he wasn't going to sign with us. And then all of a sudden, uh, Shanahan's name popped up. He didn't want to play in Carolina. And, uh, you know, we had to sacrifice Paul Coffey again, but it turned out to get a piece. Like, we had a good team, but we didn't. we needed that extra size and strength. And, of course, he was such a goal scorer that he could he could score key goals. He was always a well productive I mean scoring goals was never an issue for for uh, Brendan and uh 
you know, he gave us the presence that we needed up front. Uh, like I said before, when you when there's a lot of teams that try to knock you off in a different way, and if you you better answer the bell. So our team could answer the bell. That's one thing I would say. If you can answer the bell at the right time, you got a good chance to win. Yeah. And and you mentioned that you your three cup wins in uh, as the coach in Detroit, you had three different goalies. In 97, you had Osgood and Vernon. And Osgood got more playing time during the season. And then you went with Vernon in the playoffs. What was the thinking behind that? Well, uh, you know, it's tough for a young goalie to go against, like, you know, Colorado had got Patrick Roy. He made a big difference to that organization. It's really hard for a young goalie to, when, they, you know, they're standing in one end of the net and uh, the rink and they're looking down the ice and they see these guys that, you know, won cups and Hall of Famers coming up. And it's not easy for young goalies, but Mike Vernon had had a successful series when he was with Calgary. Uh, against Montreal, so that's why we went with him. You know, he mm-hmm. he was one of the few goalies that ever could knock out knock out a team that had a a guy like Patrick Roy. You know, that's right, that's right. Yeah, in '89, he's the goalie for Calgary, and they beat Roy and the Canadians. That's why we thought about it. You know, yeah. Um, and then after that season, um, he he is traded to San Jose. So now it's Osgood. And he wins the next cup for you in 98. He's the netminder. Um, and then, um, and I do have to ask, I mean, you, you, you talked about Vladimir Konstantinov. Yes. Yeah, so, so for the listener um, who might not remember uh, in the, in the days after the 97 win, Konstantinov is a passenger in a limousine uh, that gets into a car crash and he's in a coma and he ultimately is paralyzed the next year in 98 when you win, they bring him down to the ice in his wheelchair. And Iserman, the first person he hands the cup to is, is Vlad. T- tell me about that moment. Well, you know, when everybody found out the first year, we didn't have much of a celebration that maybe a week and then that terrible tragedy took place. And we just had a, a, a philosophy that we had to believe that we could win, you know, and we wanted to win for him because we knew that, you know, he wasn't going to be able to play anymore. And he attended the, the last game uh, in in um, Washington. It was at the game. That's when they brought him down to the ice level. And um, not a not a, a dry tear in the, in the, uh, in the with, the, with the Red Wings at that time, you know, that, that he would be there to, to cheer. I mean, he, you know, he couldn't play anymore, but boy, he, he was an inspiration to the team all the way through the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anybody who pulls that up on YouTube, like you know, to see a clip of it, it's just, it's just amazing to watch. Um, yeah. And then, um, and then fast forward to O2 in, in the middle of the O2 season, you announced that this is going to be your last year as a coach. No, and- I didn't do it in the middle of the season. I only, I, I, I made up my mind, but I didn't tell anybody until we got in, Till the game was over, the last game, you know. Oh, is that I, right? I, okay. I didn't make it public knowledge. I didn't want to. I didn't want one of those tours or all that kind of stuff. I just, I wanted to just see if we could win the cup, and I had made up my mind if, that we were gone. I was gonna. I had to leave sometime, and 
I was approaching 70, so, you know, I, it was time. It's eventually time to do other things, you know? Sure. Okay. Oh, that, okay. That's interesting. Okay. So, um, yeah, and I guess that would have just added that much more pressure to the guys, you know, better the way you did it. Um, and as you said, that team, you've got a bunch of guys who, you know, Brett Hull and Robitaille and, and Chris Chelios, you've got Dominic Hasek and Net. you know, that too is, is called one of, um, one of the greatest teams of all time. I think there were 10 Hall of Famers in the lineup. Um, yeah, we had, I think we, I counted in Montreal, we had about 10, if you counted um, uh, Rod Langway in Detroit. I think we had nine, maybe, I'm not sure, but Pavel Dotsuk, he would still, he, he was on that team as a rookie, but, you know, he's still, I think he just retired. So they they have the mandatory three, three-year retirement rule, you know, yeah. but he's, he's in his early forties, but that, that, that will add another hall of fame player. He was a rookie that year, you know, playing with Thomas Holmstrom. And I think, no, he played with Brett Hull. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that so that'll make it 10 plus obviously you, that's just incredible. And I love that line. Um, I mean, I wasn't a Red Wings fan by any means, but I loved the line with um, Draper and Maltby and McCarty. Like every team that wins seems to have a line like that, just a bunch of grinders um, who, you know, just make the other team, you know, pay for it when they're out there on the ice. Um, what was your thinking when you were putting that line together? Well, their work ethic and, uh, you know, they knew their role to a T. They were great penalty killers. Nobody could outwork them. They set the table on a lot of games. When you need that, you need to set the, the, the standard that you're going to play. You don't want to be lazy and you don't want to be uh, not working. And they never, they never let up. They were, and they all, you know, it's a tough role to be a utility player. I mean, you know, some people say they should be playing more, and but you have to accept the role, and they became important players. I mean, to kill penalties is important, and that's, and to shadow good players, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, and then obviously the, the, the career, just this amazing career wraps up. You're in Chicago. The team wins three cups over the course of the last, you know, kind of 10 or 12 years. You've got guys like Jonathan Taze and um, Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith. Uh, tell me, tell me about, you know, kind of from your position as an advisor, you know, like looking at that talent. That team started to develop through some tough times with uh you know, uh, Keith and Seabrook and Crawford and then they, uh, getting uh, Taves and then Kane, you know, you, you got a nucleus of players that have, that played la, probably a decade together. And, uh, you know, they know, you get familiarity with each other. And, you know, uh, you had to bring in some players uh, always at the deadline. You know, they brought in, one year they brought in Brad Richards, another year they they brought in um, Vermet, you know, and Ant- Antonio Vermet. They brought in some players that, you know, uh, helped them uh, get over the hump. And uh, but the goaltending again, uh, Corey Crawford was a stabilizing influence on that entire team. And you know, he played in the minors for five years before he got his, his shot at playing in the NHL. And he was a superb goalie. And uh, their defense corps and the coach, Joel Quenville, 
you know, um, they could, they were tough to play against, tough to score. And, uh, you know, the, the balance attack and Taves and Kane didn't play a lot together. They played on different lines. But I think the one player that made such a big difference to that team, unfortunately, didn't finish his career because he was uh, sick, was um, Mar- Marian Hosa. Mm-hmm. He was a free agent signing by Dale Talon in the summer of 09, I think it was. And he was a big piece of the puzzle because he had, he had no, he, 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 you know, young players need to, to, to be able to respect the uh, older players. And he has a lot of respect. So I, I unfortunately didn't, didn't finish his career, but not his fault, you know? Right. Right. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing, you know, kind of talking to you, uh, you know, first of all, about all these teams, all these championships. I mean, you know, like, you know, it goes without saying just an incredible run, um, but also just, you know, the different eras that we've talked about from the late sixties through to, you know, basically just recently. Um, I won't ask you the question of, you know, who was your favorite player or who was, which was your favorite team. Cause I feel like that's asking somebody, you know, who's your favorite kid. Um, you know, you don't want to annoy somebody by leaving them off the list. What I will, <laughs> oh yeah. So I, I, I won't ask you that question. Um, but what I do want to ask you is of of you know all the stars that you played against, who were the guys that you know you thought, God, I would have loved to have coached that guy. You know, whether it's Gretzky or Messier or you know who were the guys that just you just thought, man, that would have been fun to coach that guy. Well, I only had one little tournament, uh, and he was on the end of his career. But boy, just having Bobby Orr on the '76 uh, Canada Cup team. He became the, I mean, that team was superb. I mean, you imagine we had a defense of, of LaPointe, Savard, Robinson, Orr, and Podvin, mm-hmm. and Jimmy, 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 um, oh, Jimmy Watts. Watts. Yeah. But I mean, you know, five Hall of Fame defensemen. And the other one I always had such a great respect for because I grew up watching him play for Detroit. I got to know him when I got there. And I mean, what a player he was. I mean, he has to go down when you're talking with names of players, uh, Gordy Howe, Gordy Howe. I mean, I've always said if you had to make a mold of a player for size, strength, skill, will, um, you know, fortitude, it's hard to beat Gordy Howe. You know, he was, he was, a, he was just like, I mean, it, it is, it is what they say. He's Mr. Hockey, you know, and, I think you'll even hear fellows like Wayne Gretzky and and Mario Lemieux and Bobby Orr say that, you know, in all honesty, that what a player he was, you know. And I got to know him. I knew his son played for us, Mark, and he's in the Hall of Fame too. But, um, yeah, there's so many players. It's hard to judge players from different eras. And uh, I think it's unfair when you start talking about players post-1967 you say, well, how does he compare to this one pre-1967? It's pretty well hard to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I know looking back, I had a lot of help from owners, uh, the successful owners that we had. The goaltending is a huge factor. I mean, I I was blessed to have most of the teams that I had. We didn't have to worry about the goaltending. And, uh, you know, if you're going to build a team... Uh, one player I never mentioned much to you, but I would like to, is Nick Lidstrom. Mm-hmm. I mean, him winning all those 
Norris trophies, uh, you know, a quiet, quiet leader, um, pretty well mistake free player. I mean, it's just amazing. He, he hardly missed any games in a 20 year career and in a tough position playing defense, but boy, uh, He's a lot like you could make a mold for a defenseman and you want to touch all the bases. Nick is right up there, you know? Oh, absolutely. Scotty, this was, this was a, a, a pure pleasure. It was so great to talk to you. Um, just hey, so, so enjoyable kind of, you know, walking through the years. You, you prepared very well and I appreciate it. And I hope you have a good career. Well, I appreciate that very much. So I'll, I'll leave you with a quote that I, I found that I thought was great. Uh, it's a quote of yours it directly addresses, you know, the way you coached. I found out that you're going to, to win games, you'd better be ready to adapt. And it certainly yeah. sure seemed that you were able to adapt, you know, in, in, you know, kind of every, you know, kind of era that you coached through really amazing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, you know, looking back and it's, it's, it's all different now, but I uh, so if you if you think if you live in the past, it's not a good idea. You know, you got to look to the future and think of uh, where the game is now and where it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck, Rich. Okay. Scotty, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. This is terrific. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the Suburbs with Life Is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time. Life is like, life is like, life is like what it is.